This is Christopher Mitchell with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, talking about community broadband networks. Today, we're talking with Mary Beth Henry, the director of the Portland Office for Community Technology and Mount Hood Cable Regulatory Commission. She's been a president of the National Association of Telecommunications Officers and Advisors, also called NITOA, which has been essential in preserving local telecommunications authority. In our interview, she talks about past and present efforts in Portland to improve access to broadband for residents and businesses. Here's the interview with Mary Beth. Thank you, Mary Beth, for, uh, for talking with us today. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks, Chris. I'd like to start by learning a little bit about Brand X in Portland, uh, a, a really important uh, Supreme Court case that came out of uh, a real innovative approach that Portland tried to take with a broadband network. So can you tell me about that? Sure. We had the opportunity in June of 1998 when AT&T applied for approval of a change in control of the TCI cable franchise. And at the time, we had a blossoming uh, ISP, Internet Service Provider Market. We probably had upwards of 30 different providers that um, our citizens could choose among. And as part of the cable franchise process, local governments have the authority to place conditions to ensure that um, the legal, technical, and financial agree, you know, conditions of the original franchise will be met. So we placed a condition on that franchise transfer, which said that the cable modem platform would have to be open. What that would mean would be that anybody who subscribed to uh, cable modem for their internet, you would be able to, pr to choose any ISP that you wanted. Well, uh, I'll never forget at the meeting where the commission voted unanimously to place that condition. The attorney from then AT&T said, I hope you have a really big budget. Uh, because we knew right then that they were going to sue. And indeed, the case went all the way up to the Supreme Court in the Brandex decision. And we ended up um, losing. The Supreme Court ruled in favor of the cable companies to limit competition, competition and consumer choice. So that was sort of our entree into the broadband world, the Internet world, and we recognized early on how critical it is that we have choices. So what you're saying is that if you had succeeded, there's a very good chance that rather than having just one provider of the, of the cable broadband in Portland and possibly even all over across the United States, we could have a, a choice of many that were operating on that same network. Exactly. And I think we would have gone on a different trajectory. I think that there could have been um, pipe owners separate from content providers. And we would be living in a different world today if we had that separation. Right. So the, um, the city learned a lesson from that. And um, one of the things that you did was you started figuring out how you could have a network that you would be able to connect uh, buildings, public buildings, yourself. Can you tell me more about uh, what's now called Ernie? 
Sure, that's the um, integrated regional network enterprise. Obviously, much better to use the term earning, much shorter <laughs> and friendlier. Um, it's basically a fiber optic telecommunications network uh, designed to carry most voice, video, and data communications traffic for the city. Um, we also provide high-speed data transmission to other state and local government agencies. And the reason that it came about was we began to look at how much we were spending annually on private telephone service. This was back in the late 90s. And it was over $8 million a year for simple phone service. Uh, we had a very limited uh, data budget at that time. And who was we? Oh, the city of Portland. Okay, so just just the city of Portland was paying $8 million for phone services. Exactly. And so we uh, initially embarked on uh, creating a wide area network. and But then interest really blossomed and the different bureaus and agencies realized, within the city realized how important communication was and having some control over your costs, but also having the bandwidth that local governments, local governments need. We have large bandwidth needs and um, we, need, we also have reliability needs that might uh, be beyond what some others might want. So we launched Ernie in 2002 and we actually went and got our competitive local exchange certificate from the Oregon Public Utility Commission. And we really felt that by having a public, public sector-owned backbone, we could leverage our expertise and infrastructure in a way that we couldn't if we just were a customer. But I do think it's important to point out that at the time that we were embarking upon this, we first issued an RFP to the private sector to see whether they would be able to meet our needs. And we got no reasonable responses that would be able to meet our needs at prices that we could afford. Right, and, and Ernie serves um, only public facilities, is that right? Yes, we serve only only public facilities. That is all we serve. But the other interesting twist on it was that at about the same time, the city staff, again, were negotiating um, a new franchise with now Comcast, the cable provider. And part of the requirement was to have the company build what's called an institutional network, which could provide connectivity, fiber connectivity, to all the schools and libraries, sort of that um, last mile connection. Because the Ernie really was more of a, of a ring and then it connected some of the large city sites where there are, you know, a thousand or more employees. So by having Comcast create the institutional network, which they own and operate, and interconnecting the Ernie fiber system, which is owned and operated by the city of Portland, by interconnecting, we really expanded the reach of both networks. And so today we have a situation where it's the city of Portland Ernie staff that provide all the customer interface to the 300 schools and libraries that are on the system. And it's actually been a partnership that has worked very well. And we have very high bandwidth at very low cost. 
But again, this was not without a fight because there ensued, in the meantime, there was another lawsuit back in, oh, about 2003, 2004, challenging what the city was doing with the Ernie system. Right. And now, just as a, as a quick recap for people who might be confused, the AT&T did actually operate a cable system for a while, but then they sold that to Comcast. And so when you talked earlier about AT&T and the cable system, it's the same system then that changed ownership and then Comcast went on to build the iNet with you. Is that right? That's correct. Yep. It's Comcast today. I think they're the largest cable company in the world. Yep. And so now let's talk about that lawsuit. So someone said... Um, a company said you shouldn't be allowed to serve your own schools and, and public facilities with your own network? Um, yeah, they do, and I'll get to the lawsuit in just a second, but I think it's important to point out that um, we have gigabit service, and the monthly fee is roughly $649 to a site. And you might have several users at a site. We might have an after-school program and a county health program and a school all at one site. They can share that fee and all share in that gigabit bandwidth. So you can see that we've really made it affordable um, for our schools and libraries. A commercial rate, uh, you know, for a similar type service, when we looked into it, would have been somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, two thousand two hundred or more dollars per month. So I think it's important to understand the magnitude of the savings in this way. The scarce public dollars can be spent on teachers and librarians rather than on connectivity. Right, and actually we've seen that cost as high as the tens and twenties thousands of dollars per month for a gigabit connection. So um, you're really saving a lot of money depending on where you are. So back to the lawsuit. So we had another lawsuit. This lawsuit was Quest and Time Warner Telecom attacking the city's Ernie system. And basically, what they said was um, that the city's operation of Ernie violates Section 253 A and C of the 1996 Telecommunications Act. And their argument was that Ernie competed with the private telecoms in the governmental market. <laughs> in other words, all the governmental agencies, the schools and the libraries and local governments should have been customers of the private telcos. They also argued that because of certain preferences and subsidies granted to Ernie by the city, Ernie could massively and unfairly undercut the telecoms in providing high-speed broadband. And so their final argument was that because of the cost advantage, then Ernie effectively prohibited the telecoms from being in the governmental market. Well, the judge rejected those arguments. It's really great when the courts get it right. <laughs> You know? <laughs> yeah, that doesn't happen all the time, does it? Exactly. And so you really want to you really want to congratulate them when we do get those um, good victories, as we just did in Detroit, apparently, with the Michigan Act. So um, The great cable franchise victory. Yes, exactly. So Portland is now taking a very proactive approach in terms of trying to solve the broadband problems. You're, you're served um, almost entirely by just CenturyLink and Comcast, and you've been going through a long process that I think other communities would be interested in um, to learn. Uh, what you've been doing to do community outreach and find a solution to bring more broadband uh, options to the people. Right. It's really the, um, the local broadband strategic plan is really part of a continuum 
of our efforts to promote and develop broadband. But, you know, when um, the federal government came out with the national broadband plan, that plan is at a very, very high level. And we realized that there may be um, some uniqueness uh, in local communities. So we embarked on a local broadband strategic planning process in 2011. Of course, this is Portland, and that means that there has to be significant community involvement. We were very lucky because we have a savvy tech geek community here who were all very, very interested. And we had just come off of the Google initiative where 1,100 communities applied to Google to have fiber installed to all homes in um, some lucky community. The lucky community that was actually selected, of course, as we all know, was Kansas City. But the actual process in Portland of putting together our Google application served as a perfect jumping off point for developing a local broadband strategic plan. Many, many young software engineers who had never been involved in local government before became engaged. We wanted to keep that momentum going. So we established five work groups, and we got 50 citizens involved. And really, you, I would have to say that our local broadband strategic plan is really citizen-driven since it's those uh, 50 citizens working on those five work groups that really came up with the substance of the plan. Do you uh, have a sense of what the next steps are? What we're really doing right now, I know many local communities like ours are facing fiscal challenges. And so what we, in terms of implementing the plan with our five broad goals, um, we right now are focusing on really on two areas. One is looking at the partnerships with the other publicly owned infrastructure providers, the Oregon Health Sciences University and Portland State University and Portland Community College, large users of bandwidth who have an interest in public infrastructure for public uses, we're looking at where there might be some synergies and some shared uh, resources on the infrastructure side. And then we're also taking a really hard look at the adoption side. Uh, because in our scientific survey locally, we found that about 25% of our households don't have, and now this is from two years ago, so we may have an uptick in the numbers, but nonetheless, it's still an issue. We have about 25% of the households without internet. And when asked why, there were two reasons cited. One was cost, and the second was um, not understanding the relevance or why it would be important or how it could help them in their lives. So we're partnering with the schools and Comcast and CenturyLink on their low-cost internet programs to get the word out and help people understand why broadband is really important. Uh, most jobs listings are online. Students have to have it in order to do their homework, uh, really through uh, K-12. K-12. Mm -hmm. It's really quite important. So we're doing a lot of outreach and partnering. We recently sponsored a summit with about 30 nonprofits and Comcast and CenturyLink to help Comcast and CenturyLink understand what some of the challenges are for the groups that they're trying to address through the low-cost program. And some real interesting issues came out of it. 
that I'm hoping <clears throat> will help. It may be that these programs need to be tweaked in some manners because there are differences at the local level and there might be, um, you might want to use one strategy when you're dealing with a Native American group versus an African American group versus Hmong versus the Russian population. And we have seven languages that are spoken in Multnomah County and it, we need to make sure that that is not proving to be a barrier for access to Internet. So basically it comes down to Portland's doing two different things. One is looking for opportunities to, to partner and building some infrastructure in certain areas where it could be very most useful. And the other is a, a, an outreach to help people take better advantage of um, the broadband networks that are available. Right. The second one really is, is broadband adoption. And we also, uh, because we have such a vibrant software community here, we may be looking at um, some type of request for information for applications that can help address our sustainability goals. I think one of the things local governments can be, you know, be looking at is how can we apply the technology to solving our problems? or meeting our policy goals. And we have uh, very high goals in the area of sustainability and it seems like that's an area where a lot of these creative geeks may be able to come up with some applications that could help us uh, reach those policy goals. Right. Let's hope so. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk with us today. You're very welcome. That was Mary Beth Henry, the director of the Portland Office for Community Technology and Mount Hood Cable Regulatory Commission. To learn more, visit our show page on muninetworks.org, where we have links to some of the materials discussed in the show. If you have any questions or comments, please tell us directly. Email podcast at muninetworks.org. Thanks to my colleague Lisa Gonzalez for putting the show together and Fit in the Conniptions for the music, licensed using Creative Commons. The song is called Storms Over. Oh my